TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Now a special Talk Radio 1210 WPHT presentation. It's reading, writing, and reason. Now here's your host, Dom Giordano. Hey everyone, welcome into Reading, Writing, and Reason. Dom Giordano with you. Each week we bring you all these things involving money, kids, parenting, education. It is an incredible list. One uh, good note as we close the last Reading, Writing, and Reason for the year this Sunday, more is happening at Harvard. It's not over for that president of Harvard. They haven't been able to stonewall it quite yet. And there are a lot of rumblings that they're looking for a way for a soft landing, but something could still happen there. That over the plagiarism, over the outrageous statements when the three college presidents were together, not able to say genocide, calling for genocide is out of bounds. Harvard's early admissions applications for the incoming class of 2028 just fell 17%. Uh, last year from 95.53 down to 7,921. Their acceptance rate increased from 7.56 to 8.74, a sign that even Harvard is having trouble withstanding this. Now, I'm not telling you they're not armed with that $52, $53 billion endowment, but they are, are still having difficulty around this. It is not forgotten, not going away. And the next shot in this friend of the Dom Giordano show from noon until three is uh, Virginia Fox, the representative from uh, the South, uh, from North Carolina, who's been on the show a couple of times. She heads up the education committee. She is being honored by Penn donors like uh, Ronald Lauder, uh, Mark Rowan, and others who are having her to a big fundraiser for her next campaign in New York in January. Kimberly Hotel, tickets range from $1,000 to $6,000. All this because of what she did to expose what's been going on here with these uh, college presidents and colleges in general. We'll have a lot more of that in the new year. Maybe the most uh, stunning thing that happened this week is a uh, 9-11 poll in which uh, people that were Gen Zers, for example, Daily Mail had this, uh, go around saying that um, this poll indicates that Osama bin Laden had a point. So a little bit later in the show, we'll be talking with um, someone who heads up a United Families, a 9-11 United Families, and is really uh, now out there nationally 
trying to remind us what 9-11 was all about and how preposterous this is. One other story that's uh, preposterous is the fact that in Kansas, they have now a Satan club in one of the schools there. Now, uh, this idea that this is something legitimate when there's no mention of religion found in schools, and yet a Satan club uh, can be put in as an extracurricular activity is going to be fought and fought in a very, very uh, tough battle. But um, we'll see how that plays out. It is um, exasperating, to put it mildly, to see this uh, play out. And uh, we'll have a lot more to say on that in coming weeks. One final thought here in the opener of the show with Dom Giordano. A Pennsylvania poll indicates Commonwealth Foundation survey of 800 Keystone voters, 55% that said, financial considerations aside, they would rather their kids attend a private school. Fewer than one in five picked public school as their first option. I'm surprised it's still one in five that are saying that. Now, they may be in places where the public school is pretty decent and maybe they feel the private school or religion or something like that is not for them. But it's very telling. Charter schools are pretty popular. By any survey, anything that I can find, public schools are not. Several stories out there, though, one big one in Florida, where there might be a new teachers union. In other words, the third biggest teachers union in the country across Florida may be decertified in the very near future. There's another poll, another election of people to determine Do they want to go with the uh, Florida uh, Teachers Union, which is really jousted with DeSantis and others, typical, think Randy Weingarten, or do they want to go with a new union that respects parental rights, uh, thought we should be in school much earlier on during COVID? That battle is underway, and some of it is the handiwork of Ron DeSantis. He did a really good job on this, opening that up to debate in Florida, which is the third largest teachers union in the country. I hope that happens here with the PSEA and the NJEA and all those EAs. All right, uh, coming up, Brian Kilmeade is going to join us. We'll be talking with Kilmeade about his book series, this one, Booker T. Washington and Teddy Roosevelt, and how that plays out in schools and the idea that America has a lot of good things about it. All that is next on Reading, Writing, and reason. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. 
If your day sounds like we need the report ASAP, you deserve Medella. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm gonna teach you. Hey, welcome back into Reading, Writing, and Reason, the Dom Giordano Show with Dan at the Controls. Brian Kilmeade uh, joined us this week, and he appears on the Education Show this week, Reading, Writing, and Reason, because he has a book out about this synergy between Booker T. Washington and Teddy Roosevelt, people coming from two completely different worlds. But more importantly, his book series is geared toward pushing back against the idea that America is just exploitative, ruthless. Here's what Kill Me told me about this book and about his overall body of work, which is becoming pretty extensive. Someday he may rival Bill O'Reilly. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Brian, welcome in, particularly on a big holiday uh, whole week here. What are you doing today? Did you do radio or are you just doing uh, interviews? No, I'm actually off today. Oh, uh, my but God. I heard you, heard you guys. So I said, I'll take 15 minutes for my family uh, <laughs> to talk to Dom. This better and be I good. like to add a couple of things, a couple of things. Uh, Tay Roosevelt did get more votes than the Republican Taft. Yes, true. Was his, as everybody knows that he he kind of mentored him and then yep. they quickly they separated. And and number two, so but he did lose to Woodrow Wilson, which definitely shaped the World War One. Uh, and he was about to run again. And he was going to run again in, and at 59. He was all set, and he made amends with the Republican Party, and then he died. And yeah, that's pretty young. I mean, he, yep. to have a third yep. third Teddy Powell, you know, we're looking at that with uh, Trump now. And as far as the sweatiest people, you cannot forget Meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he, he was exactly a big right. sweater. Uh, yeah, commenter exactly. on YouTube says Joe Cocker as well. Oh, yeah, Joe yeah. Cocker's voice. So, Brian, you uh, are almost uh, done the book tour, I guess, or maybe uh, concluding. What is it that people have, uh, what insight have they taken from the book? Do you get stories of people saying, as I hope, schools or my kids, and I'm going to use it as a Christmas present. I was thinking of those kinds of things and the impact this has because these kids are not actively against America, right? Right. I mean, what they want to hear is stories. And like yes. they, what I heard, too, is people my age. I never knew that. I know the name Booker T. Washington. Didn't know that. I know about Teddy Roosevelt. Didn't even know we knew Booker T. Washington. But if you lived then, you knew this because these guys were together all the time. And they would talk about each other and they would write forward to each other's books. And, you know, Teddy would go down to Tuskegee. He, would, he gave the commencement and his eulogy and was on the board. And people look at Teddy Roosevelt. They say, let's take a statue down. Because he had some blind spots, because he was born mm-hmm. when the end of the civil in the middle of the Civil War. At the end of the Civil War, he's six. So when you're that that age, you know you hear there's difference between blacks and whites. You hear, you know, of different cultures. His mom was a Southerner, so you could, he grew up in that. So just think about some of the things that you look back in when we grew up in the seventies, sixties, seventies, you know, eighties. How different you were if you grew up in that time, and we never used to condemn people. You say, oh, yeah, yeah, he grew up in the 90s. You know, he grew up in this. And now all of a sudden we want to vilify. We want to take down statues. We want to cancel people. 
and they did want to cancel Teddy Roosevelt. So I said, let me just push back with facts and and understand that there's an, even Lincoln. If you look at Lincoln's words, he says, I, everyone should be free. We've got to live up the Constitution. And by the way, whites are uh, smarter than blacks. That's not true. Benjamin Franklin, that's where he grew up. By right. the time he died, he never thought that. So what is wrong with going back in our history and seeing how people evolve? I like to think everybody listening right now has changed a lot. Uh, maybe how they view same-sex marriage or different things in our culture and relationships than maybe when you grew up in school. So it doesn't mean you're a bad person. No, absolutely. I, but I'm more fascinated because I knew a lot about Roosevelt, and I thought I knew a lot about Booker T. Washington. And he, he's the type of person that exemplifies what you're all about. Uh, but it is even more remarkable than that not to turn to bitterness, hatred, uh, et cetera, and do what he did, not just his own life, though, but then to found Tuskegee. He is one of the most notable Americans of uh, a 100-year period. And he's no excuses. And it reminded me of Jim Brown. I got to know Jim Brown. He's, a, he's the person I dedicated the book to. And we used to talk about black-white issues, and he, you know, he would say, Brian, yeah, that's not true. This is true. And I watch people walk up to him all the time and talk about, uh, you know, I did UFCs. I did the first four UFCs, so we would travel together. I was out in California doing all sports radio with him. And uh, one day a week, every Sunday, uh, and we'd go for three hours. And we would never, we'd very rarely, he's a running back freak. He loved looking at guys like Marshall Falk when he was coming up. He would scout for the Browns. But for the most part, he was about life and what's good, why, is, why is our prison so full? How do we teach people how to get education into people whose society's forgotten? Not many people think of Jim Brown like that. They might think of him in Dirty Dozen. But he used to tell me about no excuses. I don't care if society's unequal, if there's an issue, overcome mm-hmm. it. And that's a guy that would Syracuse University would travel down south. They'd go, okay, the black players stay in this hotel, the white players stay in this hotel. And Syracuse refused to do that. And in the north, it wasn't like that. So they would just all stay in the black hotel or they would just uh, stay in cars or sleep on the buses. So he used to tell me these stories. Because, but why would I resent white people? Because the people in my town, would he find out later, rallied around, put money together and told him he got a full ride to Syracuse. And he didn't. He told the coaches not to say anything. But what they did is that when you see this guy play, you will give him a full wait, ride. Wait a minute. Jim Brown didn't get a scholarship to Syracuse? Nope. Oh my it was God. the town of Manhasset. Okay. It was the town of wow. Manhasset that white people, these horrible white people, yeah. that rallied around, told him he got a full ride. He, they bet on him. And, you know, it was kind of cool because the son of the man who did that wrote me and said, and I know, I, I hope I'm not getting too convoluted, but my dad owned a bar on the block that Jim Brown grew up in. And he said, uh, I want to meet you because my dad knew your dad who knew Jim Brown. And I want to meet you from seeing this book. So, you know, oh. it's just kind of a weird way in which we were linked that really spurred this book. How, how does it feel? You know, because I've asked O'Reilly this, and we, he jokes around about it more than anybody. But to have done something here, and you're on your way to getting into, you already are, but you're on your way to something that is unusual, something this important, this kind of breakthrough, and you have a great eye for seeing it, then the nuggets of the story, putting it together, the raw material that's out there. I don't know if you stumbled on the first one or not, that concept, but every one of your books has that kind of angle. Even people that know a lot about what you write about, 
find stuff in there. That's quite an accomplishment. Can I chime in real quick just to yes. Mr. Tolmey? Because I, I tried buying a gift for my stepfather, who's right. a historic... Oh, we talking about it. Yeah, yes. He's a historic yeah. nut. And I, we were going through all your books, Brian, just trying to think of what yes. might be the best for him. I, I ended up buying him uh, this most recent one, Teddy and Booker T. Already read it. Went down your entire list to read every single thing. He's, he, he already knows wow. his history, but he knows such in-depth just because of you uh, on these certain topics. So wow. thank you, sir. You got a big fan of my stepfather there. Well, you, but you know why I search for that is because I know I can't do better at a biography on FDR or Teddy Roosevelt on Lincoln. I mean, what can I do better? You ever read these books? They're so comprehensive. Oh yeah. There's always and, and you meet the historians, and then when I go and do the TV specials, they go along with the book. You really go out there and you feel the story, and and when I go out to these places, I'm seeing these people. If I did a definitive book on Booker T. Washington, I wouldn't be able to bring something new to it. So I said, what could I do? Could I talk about this relationship and also try to bring people forward? I'm admitting that there's racism. I am telling you about Jim Crow. I am telling you poll taxes. I am telling you it wasn't equal in the, in the South and in the North. Well, it, the, the streets weren't paid for glory for African-Americans. I'm telling you that. Then I'm telling you about people that overcame it and then moved our country forward and forced us to view our country as everyone equal. Forget about the color of your skin. I'm just giving you a slice of it, not through my opinion, but what they work so hard to do for the country. They say, okay, this is bad. Let's make it better. You know people in a catastrophe, some people blame and they and they say, woe mm. is me, and other people just get sandbags. Well, th- and th- th- let's fix th- it. And, Brian, you know, to that point, when you see what people faced and overcame, Jim Brown and some of the people you mentioned, ingratitude, it, when I see uh, Omar Tlaib, and some of the mobs that we see in New York City where you are, uh, protesting is one thing. This is way over the top. And it's not just about Israel, even principally. It's about the United States and attacking us. It is. And we just crew when, and I've told you this before, Dom, I said, you know, we used to win. We used to hear about arrogant Americans. Why don't people like America? Because we travel the world like we, you know, like we are the world champions. And we have a swagger and we expect everyone to speak English. Like, okay. That's, but, you know, I'm going to make sure if I get to travel, I'm not going to do that. That's when we were growing up. Now we walk around the world apologizing. Every country says mm-hmm. we're the problem. And we're going, yeah, no kidding. I think so, too. That's what I learned in school. That's why I'm protesting our country. You know, the, you know there's a horrible racial incident. If, there's a, if you find where cops are, uh, act in a wrong fashion, okay, that's the exception. It's not the rule. But we want to make it the rule. We want people to come out. I'll give you an example. Do you know any scenario where if the president of Harvard was white, they'd still have a job? No. Well, I'm in the camp that thinks even with this, the pressure is mounting and she will not. The plagiarism is something not going to be able to get it. But but to your point, this is so extreme and they're still dug in on it. Absolutely the case. Wanted to ask you uh, news of the day. I know you're, you're off today and doing a few other things. But uh, Don Trump Jr. yesterday on the rival Newsmax, uh, unprompted, says, no, I'm going to put my foot down to stop Nikki Haley. You might be amazed the number of calls we've had already. People love picking the VP. And I'm making the case Nikki Haley is the one person we know for Trump, Brian, who might uh, assuage these people in the suburbs a bit. Uh, What are you hearing? I mean, Trump would consider her. He considers everything. Well, he was, already, he was already asking people about her, and but he knows her. He went down, he flew down yeah. there, and she said to him, listen, I'm going to run for president. Hope we can still be friends through this. 
uh, when made the best person win. He said, you know, go ahead. I never thought maybe he didn't view her. He probably re- – he, I know he respects her. Remember, he got the Oval Office exit. And I know that they were able to have a direct line to each other. And for him to go – for her to go down there and confront him, uh, I think he respects that. But I don't think he expected this type of run. I think it's a legitimate run at him, number one. But number two is what Donald Trump Jr. is doing is echoing this new sentiment in the Republican Party that has nothing about winning elections, is all about standing for something that may or may not, I hope is not our future. And that is no longer being the leader of the free world, no longer defending our allies, doing the best we can to get out of our alliances. Brian, thank you so much, particularly on a day. Don't want to take away from the family, but the book intrigues us so much. Teddy and Booker T, How Two American Icons Blazed a Path for Racial Equality, available all over the place. Is there any other particular place they should go? You just go to my website, uh, briankillme.com, if you want to personalize, because I go to my Barnes & Noble once a week, and I'll personalize all of them. If that's something that somebody like your... uh, like your um, any relative yeah. that wants to okay. for Christmas. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. Thanks, Take care. All right, Kilmeade hits the point how necessary it is to have a book series like this, the synergy of people he brings together, all not uh, negating America's violent and difficult past, but talking about the evolution of all of us, including America. Coming up, uh, that evolution hits a bit of a hurdle big new survey out saying Generation Z doesn't know too much about 9-11. More importantly, about 30% or so in a big new poll say they like the message of Osama bin Laden. We'll talk with one of the leaders of 9-11 families about that coming up on Reading, Writing, and Reason. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house and owning it. Having an advocate who can help you navigate negotiations, timelines, inspections, and more can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm going to teach you. Hey, welcome in, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week's edition of Reading, Writing, and Reason. One of the things we try to do is to underline some remedies for things that are wrong in the American education system, parenting, the media, the whole deal. Uh, joining us in a moment will be one of the leaders of the 9-11 families, and there's so many different groups out there, responding to this big news survey that indicates that uh, younger people, maybe even millennials, are supportive of some of the statements of Osama bin Laden. A lot of them may or may not have any living memory of 9-11. Then there's the education system or the fact that schools are not teaching enough about 9-11. That's the remedy. Joining us to talk about that is Terry Strada. Terry, thank you uh, very much. And again, thank you for taking that loss and continuing, because that's for all of us. It's helpful to everybody. Thank you for joining us. Yes. So thank you so much for having me. Terry, tell us a little bit, if you can, about the background of your husband. What happened on that day? Well, Tom was uh, energetic, you know, loving husband and father. He got up on that Tuesday morning to go to work. We had three young children in the house. They were seven, four, and four days old. And Tom was only going to go work half a day and come home early. And he kissed me goodbye and said, I'll see you later. It was, I don't know, almost close to nine o'clock when the phone rang 
and it was Tom on the other end and, and his voice was very frantic and there was screaming and commotion and a noise going on in the background that something I'd never heard before. And Tom worked on the trading floor, you know, for 20 years. I, I, I've heard a mm-hmm. lot of screaming, but it was nothing like this. The, the, these were um, horrifying sounds I was hearing. And he told me that a plane had hit the building. He was going to the stairwell and he was going to try to get out. You know, we exchanged some things I keep private, but um, it was horrifying. And I never heard from him again. So when you see things like this, you know, these are pretty substantial. There have been several on the radar screen, Terry, in the last month, two months or so of these ramblings, particularly the bin Laden letter. And it's hard to believe ignorance, I think, is one of this, that bin Laden, even for people who didn't have living memory of that day, wouldn't have some sense of it because it went on for a while before we got bin Laden. So what do you attribute that, this to? And, and that takes us hopefully toward a solution. Right. I'm with you. I, I am deeply concerned with the lack of empathy or their ability to understand what terrorism is, what it does, how it affects us, how it affects the people that were murdered on that day and how it affected our country and, and the world. I mean, 9-11 changed a lot of things around the world. And for these people to, they're these young, you know, to, to think that Osama bin Laden um, to, should be sympathized with and to now you know, be in agreement with, with what he wanted, it, it definitely is on ignorance because they don't get it. They don't understand that his stated goal was to impose a violent version of Islam promoted by Saudi Arabia on the infidels, which is us, the, the, the citizens mm-hmm. and the nonbelievers worldwide, including here in America. You know, this radical version of Islam treats women as second-class citizens. It still persecutes homosexuals, kills journalists, and embraces beheadings for even minor deviations. And this is what Osama bin Laden's end goal was, to indoctrinate and and have everyone in the world fall under radical Islam. For them to have any type of sympathy with that is mind-boggling. It is. So uh, first solution, uh, Terry, you don't know this probably. I'm I'm a former teacher and I taught in South Jersey prior to doing this. I don't think I'm very reluctant to have more mandates or whatever. And I knew New Jersey because I was helpful in that, that you have to teach about 9-11. But I think on the day, too, and in some other ways. So as your group take a position on that, that's one of the first lines of defense at the schools have to, particularly the farther away from it we get. Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement with you. And what I've been working on for the last 20 years, you know, is holding the kingdom accountable and getting to the truth of what happened on 9-11 so that, yes, we can teach it properly in the schools. And as soon as I'm finished working in Washington, D.C. on legislation to help the families, I I um, 100% plan on being involved in with a state or a nationwide curriculum that teaches 9-11 correctly. You cannot leave out the part (laughs) where the radical Islamists and the kingdom was involved and the reasons behind it. And you have to be able to teach everyone. There is not a single grievance on this planet that the solution is mass murder. Terrorism needs to be understood at the Mm -hmm. level that it, it, it hurts and what it's out what its goal is and yes so i agree with you we need to do a much better job educating our children and i would like to see a nationwide curriculum that starts when they're very young and we teach about the 
know, the heroes of the day to the point you get up to middle school, you can start to learn all about the facts of the day. And then when you're in high school, you should learn the history of why, who, and how we were so brutally attacked. You reference a kingdom a couple times. I take your point. I'm a golfer, for example, and it sickens me, the stuff I've seen with the PGA Tour and the sports washing they engage in. And yet uh, various administrations, time after time, we want to look the other way and not be factual about their involvement in this because of oil again, money, God knows what's behind the scenes. So give us a sense of what you're trying to do. Okay, so we've been um, suing the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia since 2002. So I've been involved for over 20 years. The work that I do always supports the case that we have against the kingdom and trying to get the full truth about 9-11. We can't protect ourselves going forward unless we understand exactly how the the kingdom operated to pull off 9-11, right? So they used their state-funded charities. They used their state-funded banks. They allowed al-Qaeda to use their banking system. They... You know, they, they had a deal with Osama bin Laden. You know, you're, you stay out of our country. You know, they kicked him out of Saudi Arabia. And we will fund you. We will give you the money you need. I think it was something like $30 million a year to fund your mm-hmm. al-Qaeda, your terrorist group, which then grew to be very large. And as long as you're not attacking us, we don't care what you do. Well, that isn't good enough, right? You can't fund a terrorist organization and then throw your hands up in the air when they murder 3,000, nearly 3,000 Americans on American soil and say we had nothing to do with it. They had everything to do with it, Dom. They were running an anti-American pro-jihadist program in the embassy in Washington, D.C. Prince Bandar, the ambassador to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia's wife's bank account. They were using her bank account to transfer money out to the hijackers in San Diego. We have uh, listed over a dozen Saudi nationals that were involved in this program. Some had diplomatic credentials. Some were reporting to very high ups in the in so the kingdom. So let, let me ask you, Terry, what's the roadblock on this thing? What is it? Is it the legal system saying the allegations you just made, you don't have good enough proof? Or what's the hurdle yeah. in getting to the bottom of it? Yeah, so the evidence is, is very, very strong. The, the hurdles are the kingdom. And yes, the families had to go to Washington, D.C., and we had to change legislation so that we could, in fact, hold a foreign country accountable for sponsoring an attack mm-hmm. on American soil. That wasn't allowed until we passed the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act. The kingdom um, keeps going and asking to be dismissed from the case based on a variety of reasons, and they do, they do get members of Congress, they do get the administration to help them over us. So we've always been fighting. We fought the Bush Mm. administration, Obama, Trump, and now we're fighting the Biden administration. But Congress has always stood by the families and Congress works very closely with us to help us achieve our goals. And again, it's about the truth. Absolutely. Well, Terry, give us the website where we can find you at uh, 9-11 Families United. Right. That's it. 9-11 Families United uh, dot org. And you'll see quite a bit about the current legislation that we're working on. And you'll see the history and you can see documents. It's all there. And I hope once we get this uh, truth out there and we can then go back and get our schools to educate our youth, because we are in serious trouble if we start to normalize terrorism and sympathize with terrorists. That's a very, very, very scary 
um, outlook. Terry, thank you very, very much. And again, thank you. I see this, what you're doing uh, through all that pain and losing your husband. You're doing it for all Americans, you and the families involved. Thank you. Have a great new year. Yes, thank you so much. All right, Terry Strato laid out some of the things that have to be done here. I think the remedy is hate to see more mandates or whatever. What are you going to do? How much are schools actually teaching about 9-11? The further we get away from it, you might be amazed how little they're actually required to teach. Coming up, we're going to talk with David Zweig. We first had this guy on when COVID was really starting to rage and we knew more about it, about summer camps and how ridiculous some of the rules were around COVID. Now, we had an anniversary this past week. It was the one-year anniversary of the Twitter files being released and a ton of stuff there about how much information was covered up. And a lot of it, he even mentions this in the interview, had to do with keeping kids out of school. Remember, the prevailing knowledge was six feet away or they couldn't be in school. That's very hard to do in a classroom. When really it turned out to be three feet and you were okay. He's next here on Reading writing and reason today's program has been pre-recorded I'm gonna teach you. Hey, welcome into our final uh, segment this week on reading writing and reason david zweig is the uh, author of several great pieces around COVID and a book he's joined us periodically to talk about that but particularly the emphasis on keeping kids out of school how did all that happen here's what david told me recently on the anniversary, the very day when the Twitter files are released, and we found out how Twitter was censoring information that ultimately turned out to be correct. David, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me again. It's like my, my favorite show coming to talk to you guys. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Well, I remember that day. It was just incredible. And uh, I know you have a long-awaited book uh, coming up. But David, uh, you even forgot about this anniversary. And Somebody reminded you of it. You said that. That's on right. And I think when we see Fauci testify this time, the 8th and the 9th, we have not had a national day of reckoning. Somehow or another, Randy Weingarten walks around, attacks people as if they were the ones that shut down schools. But let's talk about what the Twitter files told us. Are you in the camp that any of that information, say, with Berenson, uh, that somebody should have looked at it done anything with it or would you just put it all out there on twitter what do you mean by should mean should his his reporting have been set, like possibly censored if someone found it is to there, be untrue or are you saying yeah. yes is there anything what what's mm-hmm. the metric that would stop any of it uh, because right. as i said i had him on multiple times and in the beginning mm-hmm. i thought rock solid I, mm-hmm. you know, I steered away a little bit myself uh, a little bit later on. Maybe he was burned by mm-hmm. all the intensity of people coming at him. You're right. an expert in this, and you're an expert, too, in being uh, judicious about this stuff. I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you are. No, I think you are. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you, you know, you get information out there, but what do we rely? I mean, this obviously right. what happened here mm-hmm. was a grave harm. But is there any line that you think should be held? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question, and different people are going to give different answers because there's not technically one correct answer. We have an answer that would rest on the First Amendment, and then we have a slightly separate answer, which is, you know, people will say, well, social media companies are privately held companies or, well, yes. they're public, but they're not, they're not part of the government. They can do what they want. And 
my attitude is, well, there's a couple things at play here. One of them is, as I detailed in my reporting with the Twitter files and as other people like Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger um, detailed um, even further on other issues like the Hunter Biden laptop and other things, is that, make no mistake, the government coerced in some manner or another social media companies to suppress content that the government disfavored. Um, and to possibly amplify content that the government liked. So when, so that's, that's the first thing to make your listeners understand, that if you ever hear someone make the argument, well, Facebook or Twitter, they're allowed to do what they want. Well, yes, they are, but the government is not allowed to use someone else or some other entity as a proxy for them to work around the First Amendment. Um, so that's the first thing that's really important. The government. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. But let me say this: even in the Trump administration, uh, mm-hmm. it, now maybe these were misfounded, but they were afraid of a run on things if somebody right. put mm-hmm. up things on Twitter. And if a government mm-hmm. agency, and it's ticklish, comes to you and says, "We're afraid of this," so mm-hmm. it's it's the implied threat or the threat that has to be there, or is it if they say even that that's suspect? Well, this is all winding its way through the courts right now in a case called Missouri v. Biden, which is going to the Supreme Court. Um, So we're going to find out ultimately what how the government rules on what precisely they are or are not allowed to do or say with social media companies. Um, It's so it's 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 right now it's unknown um, what they're technically allowed to do or not to do. But moving away from a sort of legal question toward just kind of a social question, in my view, the social media companies, other than stopping um, thing content that is genuinely going, you know, where people are very specifically calling for harm to other people, uh, pornography, other things that are already illegal in society, um, those should be stopped. No one wants to be, or few people want to be, you know, on a platform where they're going to to, to things that are basically illegal. Um, But short of that bar, I think we really are better off as a society to fall on the, the, the side of where the First Amendment is, which is it's not only the right to say something, it's also the right to be wrong. And that's really important because, as we all observed, what we were told by the government in many instances was not correct. There were public health officials who said, when you get vaccinated, you will be a dead end to the virus, you know, from transmission. Yes. That was wrong. When, you know, when we were told things about masking, they were wrong. So... The idea that it's appropriate for social media companies that they're going to have some sort of team of people adjudicating what, what is or is not true is, is really, really a fool's errand, and it's dangerous. That's how we find out that things are wrong. The only reason they stopped forcing kids to be six feet apart in schools is because some states refused to listen to the CDC, which enabled a study to take place where they could compare schools that had three feet versus schools Mm -hmm. that had six feet. So sometimes the only way to get to the truth is to allow for things that go against the sort of government or establishment narratives. Uh, uh, David, uh, what about Elon Musk overall now? This is a day, a major day in the takeover of Twitter. What kind of grade Mm -hmm. would you give uh, Musk 
in taking this over. I think uh, on your thread, something like $44 billion he paid. The devaluation advertising 60% down. I think that will continue to because you have enough entities that suddenly, I mean, they'll put their advertisements in suspect places, but not with him. Well, that's such a good point. There, it, it, it's a shame to me. I, I don't agree with Elon Musk on everything he says or tweets or whatever, nor should I. To me, the focus on him as an individual is part of the problem that I think a lot of the sort of mainstream media and kind of, um, you know, smart set in our society, he's become this villain. Um, and again, I don't have to agree with all of his views on things, but the fact of the matter is there really is no other platform that enables the degree of freedom for people to speak their mind the way Twitter enables. And while, yes, that's going to include all sorts of shit that you don't, sorry, that that you may not want to read or hear, that also allows for important things for people to have access to that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. And it is obviously the height of hypocrisy for these multinational corporations to pull ads from Twitter, yet continue to advertise on places like TikTok or Facebook that have an enormous amount of hateful content and other sort of harmful content on them. It's, it's, it's a complete joke. This is obviously just all about optics and sort of an ideological yeah, kind yeah, of exactly. uh, mindset that their PR people are you know, advising them on. Uh, Dan, you had a question? No. Um, well, I, I do have a question. Uh, yeah. So, so David, TikTok, there's a lot in the media right now. I was watching Fox News this morning uh, about China's involvement in TikTok. And uh, just curious, after what you exposed in the, uh, the, the censorship that happened on Twitter with uh, you know, the private entity, I wonder where you stand on uh, censoring TikTok because of China's influence on the algorithm and what can be done to subvert us. Just where do you stand on TikTok? Yeah, I think it's 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 a really complicated sort of thing to navigate, right? It's like um, my, like I said, my instinct is to always fall on the side of allowing for as much freedom of speech as possible. So that would include allowing American citizens to have access to any sort of, you know, media or technology platform that exists around the world. We are not, you know, I've been to China when I was there. I remember I couldn't go on the New York Times.com, or I couldn't go on all these websites. It's, you know, so we don't want to be like that in America. With that said, you know, this is, this is a, a, a platform that is owned by the Chinese government, or at least, you know, that they have tremendous influence over how it's going, how its algorithms run. This is, you know, it, I don't think it's too hyperbolic to say that this is, you know, basically this digital drug funneled into the minds of yeah, tens exactly. of millions of American kids. Um, and if China, you know, they certainly have the ability to push certain type of content and suppress other content. So I don't really I haven't really worked out where I stand on this. I think one thing seems to I mean, it would seem to me that the U.S. government or somehow should step in and say, look, if you're going to have a platform, you know, that our citizens are using, you can't have the government, you know, with their hand on the tiller, they're um, steering where it's going to go in all these directions. But I don't really know how that would work in a sort of, you know, actionable sense. Um, I, yeah, it's a complicated one for sure. Absolutely. David, please tell us uh, where to find you on Twitter. 
I'm easy to find. I'm just at David Zweig. So that's D-A-V-I-D-Z-W-E-I-G.com. And I also have a Substack, which is called SilentLunch.net. It's named after what they forced millions of kids to do in America, where they prohibited them from speaking during lunch during <laughs> to try yes. to stop COVID, which obviously didn't work. So SilentLunch.net for all sorts of investigative reporting, and I'm easy to find. Well, be on speed dial January 8th and 9th. I'm lining up a team of you, Rand Paul, I'm sure we'll be in when uh, Dr. Fauci uh, testifies. It's it's going to be hopefully a day of reckoning of some sort. Looking forward to it. All right, I hope you enjoyed everything today. Quite a uh, list of things that are ongoing, having to work on 9-11 to mandate that that in schools, the Kill Meat series, my own thoughts on COVID, schools, and how many times they've been wrong about kids in education and how costly that's been. We'll have more next week. Happy New Year to the end of 2023 and the brand new 2024 here on Reading, Writing, and Reason. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.